Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. doing today? That's good. Um, So I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which news do you want first? So the bad news is that I don't have a Greek word for you guys today. I know I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you guys were really looking forward to it, but um, I have a Hebrew word actually because we're in the Old Testament and it's written in Hebrew. That was good. Listen, I thought I was going to get you guys with that. I thought that was funny. (laughs) All right, so you guys ready for some good news? That wasn't very convincing at all. (laughs) All right, so as you guys know, we just had hoops camp this past week, right? Woo, (laughs) this is good. (laughs) Okay, so um, at hoops camp, we actually maxed out. We had all 60 positions filled, which is incredible. And what ended up happening is when we were at camp, I naturally led the chapel station. And so we were learning about um, the Faith Hall of Fame because, you know, sports. (laughs) And so um, we ended up at each group. We had four different groups. I asked all the kids, like, who goes to church? Who doesn't go to church? So on and so forth. And each group had maybe like two to three kids that had nothing to do with church. Okay. They had no faith background, and it actually went out of their way to tell me, I don't believe in God. And I was like, really good, glad you're here. (laughs) Can I tell you, on Friday, we ended the series with Enoch. And, you know, it says, the only thing that's said about Enoch is that he walked with God all of the days of his life, which was 365 years. And so I ended the week, and I ended chapel by asking, like, is there anybody here who has not, or who... Um, you know, maybe doesn't have Jesus in their life, but you know what, after this week, you want to walk with Jesus for all of the days of your life. And can I tell you that from each group, can I tell you all of the kids that had no faith background, that said that they didn't believe in God, when they started off the week, gave their life to Christ this week. So there was eight kids, right? That's pretty exciting. So... I just thought that I'd start off with that exciting little bit for you guys today. Um, But I'm here to tell you guys this morning why the book of Obadiah is important, despite being the shortest book of the Bible with only one chapter at 21 verses long, and why it's relevant to your life. Um, So I'm just going to pray really quick. God, thank you for today, and um, you know, just thank you for the responsibility and the opportunity to teach today to teach your truth and to teach your word. Father God, I pray that you would uh, empty me of myself, God. Father, I don't want myself getting in the way of what you have to speak today. So Father, let your words come out and would you use me as your vessel? Amen. Okay. So the only thing that we actually know about Obadiah is his name. That's the one thing that we're certain of, okay? 
Um, and it means servant of the Lord. And nobody really knows where he was writing from or when he was writing, but we do know that he alludes to content in Joel, Amos, and Lamentations. And there's a mention of Obadiah or of an Obadiah in Jeremiah, um, but most scholars believe that it's not the same man. It was just a popular name. Okay. So if you were to look at a timeline, Obadiah is giving this prophetic word, this judgment and accusation around the same time as Haggai, Zechariah, Joel, and Malachi. So this is around maybe 586 BC during the Persian domination, or as we like to call it, the Babylonian exile, okay? So to give you context as to where we are globally at this point, we are in two spots. So the first one is in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and the second is in Edom, which is now southwestern Jordan. And it actually alludes to the city of Petra um, in this text, okay? So the most interesting thing about this book that I found was that this is the only book in the Bible that's actually not addressed to God's covenant people. It's addressed and written specifically to another group of people called the Edomites. So they're from Edom. And so I'm going to give you a brief family recap because there's a lot of history that's kind of getting muddled in this period. So Father Abraham and their names are Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, so Isaac's line leads to Israel, and Ishmael, um, he and Hagar go off, and they eventually become today's nation of Palestine, um, but they also become a patriarch in Islam. And so what's important to remember is that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all have roots tying back to Abraham. Did you guys know that? No? See, look, the more you know. Really good. So then um, Isaac's son, is, he has two sons. They're called the twins. There's Jacob and Esau. And so they become the, tri, uh, the nations, rather, of Israel and Edom, respectively. And they're known as the brother nations. And so during... Um, Sorry, <laughs> during Israel's exile to the Babylonians, as they're paying the price for their sin, so this is Israel, um, this is where these judgments and accusations are coming in. Not once, not even twice, but at least three times. Um, each time their brother nation is under attack, Edom, who's supposed to be their ally, actually joins in when they are attacked by the Philistines, the Syrians, and the Chaldeans. Can you say boo? Boo. Thank you. Look, this is really good. Good participation, you guys. Clap, tap on the back, whatever. Um, so this book is about pride being brought low. So that is in verses 2 to 9. And then it goes into hope for the post-explicit Jewish people. So again, they're not explicitly mentioned. They're not necessarily like... They're, I mean, it does talk about there being hope for Israel, but they're not necessarily addressed in the same way that other books address them. Um, but this is alluded to in verses 11 and 12. And so the next thing that they go through is God's promise to vindicate, and we'll see that in verses 17 to 18 and then 21. Um, it's about holding Edom accountable for their sins, and so that's through 9 to 14. And finally, it's about to not rejoice 
in others' suffering. And so when I think about the first part of this chapter in verses 2 through 9, it's often uh, titled, Eden Will Be Humbled. And I don't know why, but whenever I read that, I always think of a parent saying, this isn't a threat, it's a promise, right? (laughs) So we're going to go through, we're going to start at verse 2, and we're going to make our way through the judgments that God is giving to Edom. So it says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall utterly be, or you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, which is Petra, um, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you, and you have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. That's rough, right? (laughs) So we see here some of the promises that God has made to Edom as a response to the accusations against them. So we're going to take a minute. We're going to go through the accusations, okay? So this is verse 9 to 14. And just as a piece of information, I don't typically prefer to use the message translation um, because... I don't know that they always do justice to what's being communicated and translated. And as we know, I'm a very wordy person. But I actually felt that in this case, they did the most justice to the powerful accusations and expressing the righteous anger of the Lord in a way that was easy to communicate. So, starting in verse 9. There will be nobody left in Esau's mountains. Because of the murderous history compiled against your brother Jacob, you will be looked down on by everyone. You'll lose your place in history. On that day, you stood there and didn't do anything. Strangers took your brother's army into exile. Godless foreigners invaded and pillaged Jerusalem. And you stood there and watched. You were as bad as they were. You shouldn't have gloated over your brother when he was on the down and out. You shouldn't have laughed and joked at Judah's sons when they were face down in the mud. You shouldn't have talked so big when everything was so bad. You shouldn't have taken advantage of my people when their lives had fallen apart. You, of all people, should not have been amused by their troubles, by their wrecked 
nation. You shouldn't have taken the shirt off of their back when they were knocked flat, defenseless. And you shouldn't have stood waiting at the outskirts and cut off refugees and traitorously turned in helpless survivors who had lost everything. I promised earlier that I had a Hebrew word for you today. And so before I share it with you, I just want to give you the heads up. You might feel a little roasted in a second, okay? So the word that I have for you is Edom. The way that it's written in Hebrew is the same as the word Adam or Adam, which means humanity. Each and every one of us. And when we understand that what Obadiah is communicating when passing along this judgment and accusation from God to Edom is also reflective and applicable to humanity as a whole, which includes us in the present day, it should cause us to stop dead in our tracks and reassess ourselves. Not because of the promised judgment, which would merely be selfish if that's all we're concerned about. But because Christ says that they will know you by your love. And if we're anything like Edom, I think we can all agree that that's the farthest representation of love or of the love of Christ for us, let alone a broken world. Do you think that's accurate? This word today is heavy, and it's hard. And I do believe that it's healthy for us to sit in this moment, because if we're honest, we become entitled when we forget the weight of our sin. We become self-seeking, self-righteous, and self-protective, which all of the things are anti-Christ. But we don't stay there. We look to the hope that was spoken and God's promise to vindicate his people. This book shows us that God will keep all accountable and deal with all human evil. And when he does, it will be through his kingdom, his covenant people, And we see this specifically in verses 17 to 18 and then 21. So it says, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. (laughs) There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. Verse 21 continues to say, Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And so this is a call to action that is a tangible step for you today. And then there's a promise for you today. So the hope that you can walk out with. Edom was judged for their complacency, for standing idly by, for lacking in integrity, and for rejoicing in others' suffering and taking advantage of others. 
especially those who are helpless. And while we know that God's great is abundant and nothing can separate you from the love of God, that isn't an excuse for you to continue in partaking in being complacent, being aloof, or rather deferring responsibility when you see someone suffering. What grace is not is the okay to go ahead and sin again. In the moments when you think somebody else is going to do something or, you know, I'm sure like, God, why aren't you doing something? Keep this in mind. He created you. He created you to do something. And I talk about this a lot, but it's because I see it a lot that people think that they get to just be passive in their faith. Or like Christine Kane says, she, she says, it's really great. She goes, she's like, I'm just going to be a little Christian nerd, avoiding everything until the rapture. So Jesus come quickly. We want to defer responsibility and just hope that we get suctioned up before we have to be responsible and actually do something. But as Obadiah has shown us through God's accusations on Edom, is that that's the, first, the furthest thing from the truth. You must be active. You must be intentional. But that's where integrity comes in. And finally, the hope that you can walk away with today is that God's justice will prevail, that his people will be vindicated. But here's the thing. Israel wasn't saved right away. And in fact, in all honesty, while they may have made it through the battle, they may have, you know, eventually been released from their exile, which is what contextually this is talking about, the war has yet to be finished, hence the day of the Lord. So let me put this into um, some more tangible terms um, for you guys with a story of restoration being incomplete much like what Israel was facing with Edom. And so I don't know if I've ever said as much, um, and I want you to hear that it's not just because I have a microphone in my hand or that I'm on a platform right now, but I have deep respect for my parents and all that they have been through and overcome. And my parents are here today. I feel like I'm on display giving a presentation. You know what I mean, parents? You're watching your kid, and that's how I feel right now. <laughs> but can I tell you, parents in the room, that your time will come when you will hear your child tell you you were right? Where's the amen? That's rude. <laughs> Those moments will come to be a breath of fresh air. And so while I share this story with you today, I want you to know I share this with you because of the example that my mom and dad have set. And so um, a brief context, I was born when my parents were 18. They were not together. And eventually my dad ended up uh, getting engaged to another lady and they, have, um, they had a son. And so I legitimately have a brother from another mother. <laughs> I know, who, who gets to say that? I do. <laughs> Um, and so eventually, uh, his mom called off the engagement and God brought my parents back together. And actually a week before my parents' wedding, I ran into the coffee table and got a black eye. It's really good. Great pictures. Um, and so I have this brother who's a year younger than me. Um, and when 
He was eight, and when I was nine, he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I have distinct memories of our family going to McMaster Hospital, um, trying to visit him and see how he's doing, and his mom turning us away. I have memories of us going with our pastor to the hospital to pray with him. And keep in mind, their family is also Christian. We went with our pastor to pray for my brother, and she turned us away. I remember, um, you know, being the oldest sibling, seeing the, um, and, and seeing the occasional photo of my brother going through his treatment and such, and knowing that I can't be there to do anything. Um, I remember being absolutely devastated that I couldn't do anything to help. And so even today, I, I struggle when somebody I love is in pain or is struggling and I can't do anything. And so with that, I remember trying to do bake sales, do garage sales. Um, I cut my hair for cancer. This may come as a surprise to some of you. I was the captain of the athletic team in high school. And I created this campaign called Clash for the Cure, where um, we would do intramurals and students would come. They would play different games and try and raise money for cancer. All of these things trying to support my brother from afar. And my family always chided me because I drank a lot of milk. And you're like, Pastor Kristen, what does that have to do with anything? Um, all I knew was that if my brother needed a bone marrow transplant, I needed healthy bones if I was going to be a match. And so it's actually a wonder today that I'm not lactose intolerant because of all of the milk that I drank. But the Lord has mercy. That's, we love ice cream here. <laughs> So to continue on with this story, my brother's mom stopped abiding to the court-ordered visitations, and we'd have to bring a police officer with us to ensure that she handed him over. But um, as he got older, they would be conveniently out of town. Christmas, Father's Day, his birthday. And I remember there was one day when I was 13, and um, his stepdad had said that he could come to our junior high youth group. It was literally two houses down. They knew them. It was going to be great. And an hour before, my parents were out of town. I was staying at my grandmother's house, and she must have thought that I was possessed in this moment because all she hears is screaming and intense sobbing. And I'll be honest, I think I cussed a little. Um, <laughs> But I got this email from my brother, and I finally managed to get out. She did it again. She won't let us see him. And on the way to youth that night, we were driving down the road. Again, his house is two doors down. There was my brother and his mom and his other brother and other sister going for a walk. There was no party that they said that that was why he couldn't come. She had just lied again. And she eventually made a deal with an extended family member that he could come for Christmas so long as my dad wasn't there without my father's knowledge of, or approval of this arrangement being made. And I remember, I, I tried to beat the system. So she didn't know. I started going to the youth group at the church that he went to because I was like, I'm gonna find a way to get around her. <laughs> 
And it was great. Um, until one of his friends comes up to me and they tell me, by my brother's own confession, that his mom told him that we didn't love him and that we were embarrassed of him because he got cancer. And that's why we never came to visit. And my brother has grown up believing all of those lies. And then in October 2015, my brother's stepdad passes away of cancer. And while our family in that moment had the opportunity to be like, karma's coming back around for you, we wept. I remember sobbing with my friends when I was in Bible college because my brother's stepdad had passed away and we recognized the brokenness of that family in that moment. My brother still won't talk to any family member but myself. And he still doesn't believe or rather he chooses to be angry and bitter and misled. He knows better. But I think for him, it's convenient to be upset about it. And I get it. I really do. But the number of times I've wanted to confront his mom for the damage and the brokenness that she's caused not only me, but to my whole family was too many to count. But it was my parents who taught me in correcting my righteous anger and by their example that I was not to wish ill upon her, even though all she, see, all she sought to do was to harm us. That I was not to rejoice in her suffering, but instead to have compassion for those who hurt me. And if my mom and my dad can show that to a person who does nothing but seeks to harm them, then who am I to do any different? And so all of that being said, my parents and I, we hold to this hope today, okay? That there, that there will be a reconciliation, whether it's on this side of heaven or the other. If God has said that his justice will be done, that he will vindicate his people, he's going to do it. It may not look how we want it to, and each day is a challenge, but we can trust in the promises of God, and we can trust that he will keep the evil done accountable. That's what he's talking about in those verses to Israel. And so I want to encourage someone today with this scripture from the New King James Version. And you might be like, Pastor Kristen, why are you bringing the New King James Version into a Pentecostal church? But I really loved how they translated this section of the Hebrew into English. And it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And that's Proverbs 13, 12. And what I want you to leave with today out of the story that I shared and out of uh, Obadiah's prophetic word is that, yes, much like Israel in the midst of the exile and much like the moments of pain that our family had walked through, hope waned. It was taxing and it was discouraging. Israel's brothers and sisters attacked them when they were at an all-time low and rejoiced in their suffering. But it says not if, but when 
when your desire, when that healing, when that longing, that reconciliation, when that restoration comes, it is a tree of life, flourishing and fulfilling. There's a promise on the other side of your pain and a hope that you can hold on to knowing that God isn't going to abandon you or let those who rejoice in your suffering, those who are vindictive that kick you while you're down, go without consequence. As Pastor Carlo mentioned last week, and as we saw this week in Obadiah, our God is a God of justice. God is present and God is with you. He fights your battles. He will vindicate you and all things will work together for the, or for the good of those who love the Lord. And so here is how I want to end today's service. I know we had a moment of prayer earlier, but you know, like sunscreen, you can never apply too much. So <laughs> prayer team, if you could come on up, uh, if you would be so kind as to. I would like to take an intentional moment to pray for healing and for hope um, over people today. To pray for reconciliation and restoration from the Edomites in our own lives. But to also pray to break off parts of ourselves that reflect Edom, such as complacency, standing idly by while knowing that others are suffering. I want us to pray for endurance, to walk through seasons of pain, and trust for the future. For fear is not our future, but the hope and goodness of God is. And so if you find in yourself that either, you know, you can take your, your self-assessment of, you know what? I think there's parts of me that do need to be broken off right now. If I have a hope and I have a goal to be as Christ-like as, you know, I can... If I have a hope and a goal to be the person that God has created and called me to be, that comes with refining. And so if you find that you need prayer to break things off of yourself, I want to invite you up. But if you find that you need prayer for healing and restoration, whether it's relationships in your life, whether it's health, whatever it is that you're holding out hope for, I want to invite you to come up for prayer. I'm going to close in prayer really quickly. I'll let you guys do that. But just before that, Pastor Chad has a short announcement for you. So Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word, even though it was challenging. Um, but God, we look to your hope and we look to the future, God, which is where you are. You are with us in this moment, but you have already established the steps and already established what is going to take place in the future. You have promised that there will be wholeness brought, God, that you will correct and vindicate, God. And so we trust you with that. And Father God, we just pray that your kingdom will be done, that your will will be done, and that you would bring us back into alignment with you. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 